Our title of our study today is Stand Fast in the Lord. And for my wife and I, Stand Fast in the Lord. And right now, 1 Kings 19. For my wife and I, I feel like this is really just where I want to be right now with where we're at because we, we've been blessed to be with my in-laws at, at their house. But we feel the Lord calling us to, to branch out of the, the bedroom that we're in because, <laughs> you know, that, that's where we... That's where we're at, um, and to go get a house, uh, to live somewhere where we can grow and throw, you know, grow and see what God wants to do. Take a step of faith, um, and with that, man, it, it's a trial because we're, we're putting our hearts and our money out there. I was like, okay, maybe it's going to be this house, and then God closes the door on that. It's like, okay, and then. It's right now uh, just a season of, of trusting that God has a plan for our lives, that, that he's going to lead us to the house that he wants us to, that he's going to lead us to the city, the place. And, and then sometimes, too, more recently, I, I was like, I, I don't want to go to this certain area. And then the Lord's like, okay, open up your heart. Go look at this house. And we go look at the house. And I'm like, man, this is a really nice house. I'm like, okay, Lord, like, I'm down to move in this area. <laughs> and, and the Lord is molding and shaping us throughout this journey and we know that he has a plan. We know he has a place for us. So on top of all of that, too, we're like saying, okay, Lord, if you want us to stay where we're at for now and just trust in you, then awesome. We're going to do that. We know you have a plan. And even if it's like, man, it's a long time, because sometimes when we think, well, God, are you going to keep me in this season for a long time? We could, our hearts can just grow weary and like tired and and then you start to maybe make moves outside of the Lord's will because you're just trying to get out of the season that you're in. But that's where it really takes discernment and wisdom to ask God, God, do you want me to be here? I was talking with my brother the other day. Uh, and he, he feels that where he's at, at a, at a particular church, that the Lord might be calling him out of, of that particular church. But he's not certain and, he, and he's not sure. And one of the things I, I, I told him is just, you know, pray. Because God's either going to do two things. He's either going to confirm that, look, you're in the right place. But you're, you need to have the right heart for it. Because maybe there's something in our heart that needs to be fixed, needs to be adjusted. Or, secondly you're going to continue to have that discernment that you need to move and then God's going to open the door and you let him open the door and you let him show you how to make that move. But I remember even in my life, there was uh, seasons where I had to fix my heart about the season that I was in. Seasons uh, of thinking that the work that I was doing was, was hard and, and wanting to give up and wanting to step away from that season and... Asking God, God, am I in the wrong, even in, in the right place right now? Or do you want me to move somewhere else? Do you want me to go somewhere else? And in, in that particular season in my life that I'm referring to, I remember God told me, no, you're in the right spot, but you need to fix your heart about it. And I was like, okay, Lord. And then there's been times when he's opened the door for me to move. So with all that, I, I exhort us uh, as a church, as a body of believers this morning, let's ask that the Holy Spirit would give us discernment and wisdom on where to go and, and how to move. 
And part of that, it's going to lead into my study today about standing fast in the Lord. This idea for, for standing fast, it, it's a, a firm, a fixed, or settled position. It's to refuse to abandon one's opinion or belief. And it's actually a military term where in artillery, in weaponry, the order at which all action on the position ceases immediately. So they cease, they stand fast. It's not, it's not retreating, it's not going forward, it's just stopping the action. And in the Old Testament, in First and Second Kings, those books of the Old Testament, it teaches us the history of Israel's kings. See, God commanded certain kings in Israel that they would worship him alone, that they would rid Israel of idolatry, and that they would be faithful to the covenant that he made with them. And God gave the nation of Israel prophets to speak on God's behalf. They were guardians of this covenant agreement between Israel and the Lord. And the prophets were also to call out idolatry and injustice. And this is where the prophet Elijah comes in. And I, and I, I dig his character a lot as I go through the account of his life. So during Elijah's time... There was two people in power over Israel. There was King Ahab and his wicked wife Jezebel. Perhaps you've heard that name before. People nowadays, like you heard, like oh, she's a, a Jezebel or something, and they tell, tell call a woman a Jezebel in a very derogatory term. Usually, if she's like stealing people's boyfriends or something, she's like oh, this is just Jezebel. Now, King Ahab and Jezebel, they actually murdered innocent people during their lifetime. They, they, they would lie and steal to get their way. If they saw a garden that they loved, they would lie and kill the person who owned the garden so that they can get it for themselves. And then Jezebel introduced idolatry into the nation of Israel. And these two false gods were the main idols that she brought in, which was Baal and Asherah. And the way that they would worship these gods was usually with some sort of sexual fornication during the worship and also human sacrifice. Because they believed that if they took their firstborn children, put them on the, the hands of Baal, the statue, and then lit the statue on fire, that as that firstborn was being burned, that they would gain success supernaturally through their life because of that. And, and I still see this today with Abortion, where people will kill a life to gain success in their life. So Elijah, he's against all this idolatry and wickedness going on. So Elijah the prophet, one day, he goes to King Ahab. And he, as he approaches Ahab, the king calls out to Elijah and says, Is that you, troublemaker, that's coming to me, the king? And Elijah's like, you, who are you calling me troublemaker? You're the troublemaker, bro. He's like, y you've disobeyed God and led the nation of Israel into idolatry. So he says, look, king, we're going to have a battle today. I want you to call all of your prophets of Baal and Asherah, and I want you to gather them together, and I want you to call the nation of Israel people to witness this showdown and what we're going to do is we're going to settle who is the true and living God. So there's now 850 different false prophets 
that meet for this battle. Verses one, Elijah. But behind that one, Elijah, is the living God. So sometimes in our life, we could look out and see this huge, enormous task, numbers, and, and, and trials in our life. But behind us is the true and living God when we are his children. So Elijah is saying, look, we're going to have this, this competition, this showdown. What we're going to do is we're going to have two bulls. We're going to bring these two calves, and we're going to cut them up in pieces. You guys take one, I'll take the other, and we're going to lay it on some wood. But we're not going to start the fire for the barbecue. We're going to say, whichever God is true, you bring down fire from heaven, and whichever calf catches on fire, we know that's the true and living God. So they, the, the false prophets then, they say, okay, deal, let's do this. So they start having their, their crazy dance and song and worship, and they're singing out to Baal and Asherah. And it's like this huge Coachella festival now so that's taking place with all these people like shouting and running and dancing around this golden calf like, hey, yeah, hi, yeah. And I'm so sorry. And there's the calf that's not getting burned. They're waiting for, for the fire, but nothing's happening. Now, the prophets of Baal, they see that their God's not answering them. So Elijah then begins to shout out to them. And he begins to say, hey, look, maybe your God is sleeping. Maybe he's going to the bathroom. Or, or, or may, like maybe he, he went off on a long journey and hasn't come back yet. And the, this is making them mad. They're like, what do you, how, how dare this guy do this to us? And then it gets even worse. They begin to cut themselves in, wor- in worshiping the Lord, their lords, their false gods. And the blood starts to gush out all over, everywhere. And they do this from morning until evening, and nothing happens. So then finally, Elijah, he says, okay, all right, that's enough. This is what we're going to do. I'm going to dig a trench around this calf, around my calf, and I want my people, look, throw water all over it. Throw water all over the calf which would really make it harder for any type of fire to catch on this animal, this creature. And then he says a simple prayer. He says, Lord, answer me. Answer me so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. And as he says that simple prayer, I'm reminded, look, sometimes in our life, God's going to tell us to do something that would seem counterintuitive to do something that would seem like why would we want to throw water and make it harder for ourselves but Elijah's throwing water on this calf and when he says that simple prayer Lord just answer me suddenly the fire from heaven opens up comes down and burns that calf it burns that offering And what I see, this is my point with all this. My point here is stand fast and see the Lord's fire, see the Lord's work. You see, Elijah, he didn't have to have a a secret Zippo lighter that nobody really knew about and then to start the fire on his own work. 
See, there's our part of being obedient and open to God. But then our success in life, it's not by our, our own power. It's not by our own might, but by what? By my spirit, says the Lord. It's not by power, it's not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And I don't know what's going on in your guys' marriage this morning. I don't know what's going on in your family life, your relationships, in, in your call, in your ministry. I don't know all the details of everything that's going on in your work, your finances, your health. But I know that in all these things, the best thing for us to do is let God have his way with those, uh, with those things. That I realize that idols in our life, they need to be taken down. Because sometimes we're, there's people who, who we have these struggles. And we're saying in our life, look, Lord, I, I admit that I have idols, but I can't get rid of them. I can't get rid of my greed. I can't get rid of my pride or my anger. I can't get rid of, of fornication or 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 gambling, or, or pornography. I, I can't get rid of my alcohol addiction. But simply what we need to do as, as people, as sinners, is to put those things on the altar and watch God burn them. See, just let it go. Because some things overnight in my life, when I came to the Lord, God took them like that. But there was other things in life that God said, okay, I'm not gonna, I, I want you to overcome this with my son, Jesus. It wasn't like he just simply removed it overnight. But those are those things where God has taught me how to fight the spiritual warfare, how to fight against the flesh, and to keep fighting the good fight. And I like that idea of when somebody says, keep fighting the good fight, because it reminds me that I am in a spiritual battle. And I don't want to give up. You just keep moving forward. Do we get knocked down? Absolutely. But does God give us forgiveness so that we could get back up and move forward? Oh, yeah. There may be pain in the night, the Bible says, but joy comes in the morning. Now, after the fire rains down from heaven and it catches on this, this calf, the witnesses, those Israelites who were witnessing, they began to fall and they worship God, the true God. So then Elijah commands that the nation of Israel sees all these false prophets. He looks to the Israelites and says, you see all the, the prophets of Baal and Asherah? Capture them all, gather them all together. And then Elijah massacres them. He kills them. And as Elijah, uh, I'm reading the Bible like, man, it says literally that Elijah killed the prophets of Baal and Asherah. I'm like, this is not politically correct right here. This guy, this prophet is murking these people. I'm remind, it's just like, I, I can imagine Quentin Tarantino could take this scene and just do some craziness with it of the prophet Elijah going with his, his sword or something and just destroying all these different men. And I realize in all of this though that God gave Elijah the victory. Because Elijah was simply doing what God called him to do. So this is kind of the, the introduction of where we're at now in 1 Kings chapter 19. So let's begin chapter 19 verse 1. It says, And Ahab 
told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Also, how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. So here, Elijah, he gets word that the queen wants him dead by tomorrow. So remember, Elijah just gets this word that he's now like, there's a bounty on his head. But what happened just recently? Elijah just saw the fire from heaven of God just come down and give him victory. And then he just executed all these 850 prophets. And now Jezebel is saying, okay, I want Elijah dead. All right, now, Elijah, what's going to be your next move now, Elijah? What are you going to do? Because I'm sure, Elijah, you're a man uh, who just knows that God's got your back. You just witnessed all these men dying in front of you at the power of God. What are you going to do, Elijah? And then in verse 3, and when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life. What? Elijah, what do you mean you ran for your life against Jezebel? And then he go, it says, and he went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. So Elijah went from being in the, one of the greatest accounts and the greatest miracles of the Bible to then wishing that he was dead. And I, I, we could look at Elijah like, man, you're, you're messing up. But what I see here a lot of times is myself. We could go from such amazing mountaintop experiences with the Lord and being like, God, you're, you're in control. You know what's going on. I trust you with everything and, and, and I love you. And then as soon as we get down that mountain, all of a sudden you were like, that's it. God, just take me now. I can't do this anymore. Like, I don't want to be living. I'd rather just be dead. And sometimes we have that. So I relate to Elijah in this. There's times when I act scared in life. I act in fear of my life. You see Lisette here in the room, right? That chancla accuracy when she throws it across the room. <laughs> fear. It can overtake us. Say, get a Mexican wife, they said. Good food, they said. Latin wife, they said. They didn't tell me about the accuracy of the chancla. You guys know she works in a psych ward, right? So, and I I told the men yesterday as I was teaching them, I was like, she's probably seen some of you there. (laughs) You know, sometimes we get afraid, though. And we say, well, I've never really seen a miracle in my life. Well, then I would ask us, well, did God save you? So you're telling me that God took a sinner, someone who was self-righteous, someone who was a fornicator, someone who was a drug addict, and changed him into a child of God. And you think God isn't powerful enough for your situation? No, God is powerful. And my point with this, my second point with this, is stand fast in the Lord's testing. 
Stand fast in the Lord's testing. And then in verse 5, we read, Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank. And he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights, as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. So see, never underestimate the value of a snack and a nap in your life. This is, this is what, exactly what Elijah got. I'm being a little comical right there. But what I do see here is God's patience towards Elijah. Being, Elijah being fearful after seeing the great glory of God, seeing the fire come down, and, and then suddenly turning and running away and, and being fearful, God is still caring for his servant, still ministering to him. And Elijah now he's getting Elijah ready for the next part of his life. He's saying, look, you're gonna, about to go on a fast. The journey ahead is great. So that's why I'm going to call you into a fast. And what that, that fast is, is what we're doing is, and we still practice this today, is we will starve the flesh. We will starve our, our physical body appetites. And then we will focus on the spiritual things in our life. Because when you starve the flesh and you feed the spirit, God allows his power, his spirit, to just move through your life. And he's going to do this for 40 days. Elijah goes on this fast. And Jesus even taught that, look, there's certain demonic warfare that's out there that can only be solved with prayer and fasting. Do you guys know what the number 40 is symbolic of in the Bible? Trial, yes. Trial and, and, and judgment and testing. So that this is going to be the trial, the test in Elijah's life as he continues forward. But I also see here that what God is doing before he goes on this test is he's giving him rest. He's saying, look, sleep, eat, because the journey is coming ahead. And, and my point with this, my third point, is stand fast in the Lord's rest. See, the, the idea of a retreat in warfare is so that the soldiers can keep their life, their strength, and then hopefully return to the battle in victory. And there's going to be times in our lives where God is going to have to hit the pause button in our life. Because sometimes we get so busy doing ministry, doing work, and, and leading and guiding our families and we're not taking our rest in the Lord. Remember Mary and Martha? Mary and Martha are with Jesus, but Martha is busy making sure all the food and the dishes are clean and, and that the house is ready for, for the disciples. And she's so busy, and she sees Mary at Jesus' feet, worshiping Jesus' feet. And she says, Lord, don't you care that I'm doing all this work by myself? And Jesus looks at Martha and says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. 
But one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken from her. So Mary was worshiping at the feet of Jesus, attending to him, growing in her relationship with him. But Martha was so busy serving that she didn't see that what Mary was doing was the thing that was commended and honored. And, and that happens in our life where the Lord has to hit the stop, the pause button in our life. I know I've been sharing with you guys recently, we, we, me and my wife were doing ministry, doing ministry, and all of a sudden uh, she gets sick and it's like, okay, now we've got to quarantine and we've got to uh, isolate. And, and that could, for me, uh, start to worry about what about the church and what about all these things. But then I have to remember, look, God is slowing me down because he has a purpose for this. And we really did get a lot of rest and it was awesome to kind of just recoup and get, and get ready to come back into ministry, into service. It, it was all God's divine uh, just plan. So rest in the Lord. Allow him to lead you, to guide you. And then in verse 9, it says, And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. So, look, Elijah's now, he's hiding in a cave. And God comes to Elijah and says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah, instead of saying, I'm hiding, he gives a complaint to the God. He doesn't even answer God what he's doing. He starts to complain. He says, God, I'm all you got left. And this is what I need to be doing right now, God, because of all, all every, it's just me and you now, Lord. Do you guys ever feel that way in life, that it's just you you're the only believer out there in the world and, and you're just surrounded by secular, carnal people, mean people, rude people. And you just feel like, Lord, like, what are you doing with your servant here? How long are you going to let your, allow your servant to go through this? And, and what's going on? Or I don't know, sometimes if you've ever encountered someone who you see them... As they're in ministry, but you could see that their heart, it's maybe not fully right on with the Lord because you ask them, hey, how are you doing? And this is maybe someone who's in ministry and they're like, can't you see I'm serving the Lord? Don't leave me alone. I'm busy serving the Lord right now. And you're just like, whoa, dude, all right. Serve, God bless, bro. You see, we need to be honest with the Lord. We need to be transparent in our servants. And just say, you know what, God, I, I, I'm hiding right now from you. I'm, I'm in a cave because of these reasons. But Lord, what do you want me to be doing? See, maybe Elijah at first wasn't looking for God's word in his life as he's running away. Maybe he just wanted to do what he felt was the best thing to do. So again, in verse 11, then he said, go out and stand on the mountains before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains 
and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. See, sometimes we're expecting the fire of heaven to come down in our life. Sometimes we're expecting the walls of Jericho to, to be crushed. We're expecting the Red Sea to split open before us in our lives. And yet, sometimes God speaks through a still small voice. As I was going through that right now, when I got to the part of the, about the, the earthquakes, I was reminded, I, when I was in India with my wife, I was teaching the Bible study online over Facebook, and all of a sudden, right in the middle of the Bible study, the, the, the earthquake hit us, and we was like, shaking, and I was like, oh my gosh, and then, like so Lisette's face was all scared. I was like, are you okay? Like, we're, we're good? Can I continue? And then she was like, yeah, we're good. So as I was getting to that verse, I was like, ready. Like, okay, here it comes. But sometimes God doesn't work through the spectacular. Sometimes he works supernaturally through the natural. And I, I, I'm wondering about the disciples. When they were there, when they were watching Jesus on the cross, I wonder if they were expecting God's glory to burst forth and destroy his persecutors. I'm wondering if they were hoping that Jesus would then let the glory of God shine through him so that Jesus would get off of the cross in retaliation and show everyone what he was truly made of. But God doesn't always work in the spectacular. Sometimes God speaks to us in the silence of disappointment. Sometimes God speaks to us in the silence of trials. And his still small voice whispers not what we want to hear, but what we need to hear. Hmm. Verse 13. So it was when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave and suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. So he's repeating himself here. God's asking him again, what are you doing? And he's just going now in this routine of, God, I've been zealous for you. I'm the only one. And this wrapping of a mantle around his head, it's so that he can actually hide his face from the divine majesty of God, which does show he's still humble here. Because no human being can physically see God and live. You know, in ministry, when I, when I first stepped into to full-time ministry at Calvary Chapel, Golden Springs, I remember one of the pastors asking me how, how my time had been after a, a few months being there. And he's like, hey, how, how has it been? for you so far and something I told him I was like you know what I learned really quick was that ministry it's a lot less glorious than I thought it was going to be and secondly it's a lot deeper than I thought it was going to be and that's how it is in life sometimes we're expecting hey I'm making a move for the Lord and you know we're going to get accolades and praise and everyone we touch is going to start speaking in tongues and there's going to be healing everywhere but sometimes that doesn't happen Sometimes the Lord is doing a work in our heart. 
and in our life and through people's lives. In verse 15, it says, Then the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. So right here, God is now taking Elijah and basically saying, look, I'm going to show you what's going to happen to the future kings of Israel. And I'm going to give you instructions on how to deal with this. So I see here, God is continuing to give his servant, Elijah, instructions on how to act, on how to move forward in his life. And it, 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 to me, that's, that's refreshing. It's refreshing to know that even though Elijah was hiding in the cave, that God's not done with him. And our, our last verse, verse 18, God says, Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So God is telling Elijah here, look, Elijah, you're not the only one out there fighting for me. See, God doesn't need us. God doesn't need us. We need him. And if, but if we don't step up to the plate, God is going to use someone else. You see, my point with this is stand fast in the Lord's call. Stand fast in the Lord's call. Did Elijah, did he get scared and hide? Yeah, he did. Did Elijah go from one extreme of being on the mountaintop with the Lord, seeing the fire of heaven come down and having victory, to then running away from Jezebel? Yeah, he did. But was God done with him? No. God was not done with him. Absolutely not. And I wonder, what has God called you guys to? Are we answering that call in our life? Are we in a season where we feel like we've messed up and, and we just can't get back? We can't get back to where we were in our walk with the Lord. We can't get back to the ministry that God had called us in. I'm reminded of Peter, the apostle. Remember, he denied Jesus. When Jesus was being interrogated and beaten in the courtyard, in the court, Peter was outside by the fire of the enemy. And a little girl came up to him and said, Hey, aren't you one of the disciples? Weren't you hanging out with, with the guy, Jesus? And Peter says, No, I, I don't know the man. And then suddenly somebody else, another person comes up to him. Hey, uh, you, you sound, you, you talk just like his disciples. You have the same accent as all, you definitely were. And he's like, no, I don't know the man. And then a third person's like, you definitely were, the, were, were with him. And he says, I swear, I don't know that man. And he begins to curse in his swearing. And he's saying, I, I have nothing to do with Jesus. And then right at that moment, when he finishes that statement, the rooster crows, just like God's, Jesus said it was going to happen. And Peter remembers, Jesus warned me about this. He remembers that Jesus told him, you're going to betray me this very night. 
And Peter said, no, I'll never betray you, Jesus. I won't do it. And then as they're leading Jesus out of the courtyard, Peter sees and locks eyes with Jesus face to face and begins to cry like no other man cried, the Bible says, because he knew he betrayed his Lord. He went against the very thing that he said that he would never do. And when, when I think of Jesus, though, as he was looking at Peter from across the way, I, I, I bet you that as he looked at his, his friend, he looked at his disciple, I know that there was love in Jesus' eyes for Peter. That as his eyes were meeting Peter from across the way, he, he was trying to encourage him just from the look on his face if he possibly could. I know Jesus was praying for Peter. He even said, Peter, Satan has asked for you by name that he might sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you, Peter. And I, I would imagine Peter at that moment being like, well, you, you told him no, right, Jesus? You said no, you can't have my son Peter, right? And Jesus said, I've prayed for you. But there was that sifting that was coming. And then later on, when after Jesus is buried, goes into the, into the grave for three days, three nights, is resurrected, begins to appear to certain disciples. Later on, Peter is there, they're, they're, they're fishing, and suddenly they catch this huge amount of fish in the water. They're pulling it up, and this man was the one who told him, hey, cast on the other side of your boat. And all of a sudden, when they're pulling up all the fish, Peter realizes it's the Lord who's on the shore. So Peter jumps into the water, swims all the way over to Jesus. And then they start having this dialogue. And Jesus asked Peter, he says, Peter, do you love me more than these here? And whether he was talking about the fishing nets, whether he was talking about the disciples or the fish tacos they were about to eat, I don't know. But he said, do you love me more than these? And Peter said, Jesus, Lord, you know I love you. And then again, Jesus asked him, Peter, do you love me more than these? He's like, Jesus, you know I love you more. And he says, feed my sheep. And then a third time, says, Peter, do you love me more than these? And he says, Lord, you know I love you. And I could just sense the, the shame in, in Peter's admission to loving Jesus three times when he betrayed him and denied him three times. But I also see Jesus' grace in Peter's life where he says, feed my sheep. He's saying, look, care for the church that's coming Care for the disciples, care for the people, the Christians, the believers who are going to come and enter into my family. I want you to watch over them and feed them and care for them and love them. And what he's doing is he's taking Peter who messed up, who betrayed Jesus, and he's putting him back into the ministry. He's putting him back into that call. And I realize that even Elijah, Peter, they experienced that call in their life that they could walk forward in, not because of their own goodness, but because God had called them to it. You guys want to know what ends up happening to King Ahab and his queen Jezebel? These people who caused so much fear in Elijah's life? At the end of Ahab's account, he goes out in battle, and so a, a, a random archer just sees him and thinks he's somebody else, pulls back his arrow, shoots it at King Ahab. It hits him 
right in the cracks of his armor, gets through, and the blood pours out all over his chariot, and he dies standing up. With Jezebel, she's in a, a tower, and as another nation is coming against the, the nation that Jezebel's queen over, they go to them, and they say, hey, are, are you for us or for our enemies? And, and the people probably realize, like, well, we're, gonna lo- we're in a losing battle, so we better just join the people who are winning. And he says, throw Jezebel down from the tower. So the servants there, the eunuchs, they see Jezebel. They say, okay. <laughs> they grab her. They throw her out of the window. She goes flailing down, hits the ground so hard that the blood splatters on the wall. And then a horse comes, and they see that it's Jezebel. They know who she is, the guys who told her to come down. And the horse tramples over her body, just pounding it now. More Quentin Tarantino scenes are coming to mind. Blood is going everywhere. And then the dogs come in, and the dogs begin to eat her body, and they lick the blood off the floor. So all that's left is her skull, the bottom of her feet, and the palms of her hands. That's all that's left of her body. Who says the Bible's boring? You see, this is how God punishes those who go against his children. This is how God punishes Jezebel, the woman who tried to lead the nation of Israel and who did into idolatry. There's a seriousness to it. So look, that's the God who's the same God who loves us, who's called us according to his will. Who, when he calls you to something, where God guides, God provides. So, remember, stand fast and see the Lord's fire, his work. Stand fast in the Lord's testing. Stand fast in the Lord's rest. And stand fast in the Lord's call. Amen? Let's pray.